Welcome back to another episode of the Huxley Morton podcast, the show where I'm bringing you interviews from some of the world's most ambitious, uh, innovative pharma company owners and industry leaders who have all agreed to share that both their personal and professional stories of growth. This week, I'm joined by Carmela Massio, CEO of Live Onyx. Uh, Carmela, um, welcome to the show. Give us a, a little bit more of an insight as to, to who you are and uh, I guess what you guys are doing over at Live Onyx. Yeah, well, James, thank you for the opportunity to be here and to the entire Huxley Morton team um, for the invitation. I'm both honored and humbled uh, to be able to share my story with you. So what we're doing at Livonix is we are, so long before the pandemic, we prioritized infection prevention, specifically hand hygiene in hospitals. Mm -hmm. And so with the recognition that one out of every 25 patients that's going into the hospitals come out with an infection they didn't have to start with, we wanted to try to come up with a way of innovating how hand hygiene is currently done. So yeah. we're developing a novel hand hygiene device that will be more effective, meaning it's going to get more of the uh, pathogens or germs that are in the hospitals are currently not addressed. It is going to be safer. So we're going to minimize the amount of damage done to hands using current methods, mm -hmm. and it's going to be faster. So we're going to be able to do this in just three seconds. And so that's really what our mission is, is to develop a novel hand hygiene device that's going to be used in hospital settings in order to prevent infections from spreading. Amazing stuff. Well, look, I think all very relevant, particularly at this time where uh, over the last year, everyone's been washing their hands a ton, ripping them to shreds at times because they're so dry. Um, so look, we'll, we'll come on to you know more about what you're doing at Live Onyx. But look, first of all, um, a, a bit of a rewind. I always like to hear sort of people's backstories. How you know on earth did you first get into the industry? And you know perhaps this. Specifically, I mean, did you always plan to kind of go down this route or ha has there been various hurdles, twists and turns along the way? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so the people that know me well know that I absolutely love superheroes and I love their origin story. So whenever I have the opportunity to share mine, it, it just makes me ridiculously happy. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know that I have your typical um, entrepreneur phenotype or story. Um, so I have a very, very strong childhood memory of um, being at, with my dad at work one day. And mm. so some background for, with my parents, they're Italian immigrants. They moved here separately in their youth. They met in- Hence uh, the name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so they met in East Boston um, and, you know, they, they separately with, um, they separately wanted to, how do I say this? without sounding cheesy, it's following the American dream, right? They moved to mm -hmm. America with these big aspirations. And so my dad started his own construction company. So it was called Creston Sons Excavating. Um, yeah. I have two older brothers. And so he was a like one man operation excavating um, properties to put them foundations and clearing lots and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so I was really fortunate that in the summers I got to go to work with him. Um, and so I remember I was nine years old. Yeah. We were on a dirt haul. And so we were in the dump truck and we had just pulled all of this dirt out of um, some property in order to dig the foundation. Mm. And so I'm hopping along in the in the truck and I look over at my dad and I'm beaming. And I was like, I can't wait to grow up and to go into construction, dad. Yeah. And at the point in my life, like, 
I had never seen my dad angry. So I'm the, the youngest of three and the only girl. So to say that I was the princess is an understatement in my dad's eyes. Mm. Um, and he turned every shade of red and he got so angry. And he said in a very gritted teeth way, I did not move to this country to work like a dog to have you end up like me. You're going to college and you're making something of yourself. <laughs> oh, okay, dad. And so I, um, that voice has kind of stayed with me all along. Mm. And so at that young age, um, I realized I loved science, um, but not having exposure to scientists or the field in general, I thought, okay, well, if you like science, you either become a doctor or a veterinarian or a dentist, because that's where my mind went to. Um, I knew pretty quickly I didn't want to be a doctor because I do not like the sight of blood. Um, I did not want to become a veterinarian once I found out that sometimes you have to put animals to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and so that left dentist. Um, mm. And so fast forward to um, when I enrolled in college, I was in the pre-dental program uh -huh. and I had an amazing um, biology professor for my freshman year. Yeah. And so it was a large class, over 300 students. And this is how I, I feel like everyone had a teacher at some point that just motivated them to really become who they are. Mm. Um, and so for me, it was Dr. Charles Walker at, at the University of New Hampshire, where he was a very gregarious and untraditional t-shirt where... Uh, professor wearing tie-dyed t-shirts and he would run across the stage with, with excitement with what he was sharing and I remember the day him talking about DNA. Kind and of maybe like is it like the, the, the stereotypical cool teacher that you see on films it sounds like he was he's one of those sort of characters was he? Yeah I mean he was just a class of his own honestly you know I couldn't compare him to anyone he just I would say he was untraditional because I feel mm. like in the sciences sometimes on film like you see you know, old men in lab coats with warts on their faces, you know, and yeah. for Dr. Walker, he was just, you know, he, again, he would wear tie-dyed shirts and he rollerbladed into class, you know, he was <laughs> very untraditional and just so full of life mm. um, and stuff. And the day that he talked about DNA, he's just running around the stage and he's talking about these proteins, the histones that can turn the DNA into something you can't see with the most powerful microscope. And yeah. I found myself literally sitting at the edge of my seat going I'm gonna be a dentist I'm gonna do what that guy does yeah and so that was really a change of moment for me and so I changed out of the pre-dental program and I um, went and I spoke to him during his office hours and he was kind enough to share all the different professors at the university that would be willing to take on undergraduate researchers mm -hmm. and so that's where I found a passion for microbiology is yeah. I got paired with what ultimately became my um, advisor and um, and I started doing undergraduate research straight away in my freshman year and wow. yeah, and then from there I started um I had a job that was um, in, it, it was a contract manufacturing facility, but very, very small. We were only a 15 person company. Mm. Um, and admittedly, I hated everything I was doing when I started working there um, because uh, I thought that I was going to be doing research, but because I was really good working in the absence of bacteria, I got put into the mm. actual manufacturing suite and was filling product for clinical trials, which is incredibly important, but I'm a little claustrophobic. So being in a 10 foot by 10 foot room wasn't for me um, oh, yeah. and stuff. And so then I, in 
I was there for two years and then looking for a new position. And that's when I stumbled across Cubist. And mm -hmm. uh, I ended up at Cubist where I got to help be part of inventing new antibiotics um, for use in acute care. And I got to work with superbugs like MRSA and Clostridium difficile. And uh, so it's this really amazing company and their primary focus was in, it was in antibiotic discovery. Yeah. But then during my tenure there, which was about 12 years before it was acquired, mm. um, we, we decided that it wasn't enough to develop life-saving antibiotics and we started a stealth infection prevention project mm -hmm. and having started that project i got to co-lead that effort and then just ex explain that in a bit more detail so a stealth infection pro project yeah. what does what does that mean to i guess the general day-to-day -day person myself perhaps included because it sounds it sounds pretty cool um, yeah. What 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 does that involve? Yeah, you know, you're right. It's a great question. So, really, what it was is because Cubist was well known for antibiotic discovery. Mm. Um, for us to kind of draw a line in the sand and say it's not enough to develop antibiotics, we want to stop these infections from even happening. Yeah. Um, the stealth part was is that we kept that in, as a secret. And the reason that we did that was recognizing that there's large, large pharma companies out there that have significant more people power and mm. um, more in their bank account that they might just think to themselves, well, that's crazy enough that it might work. Yeah. And so for the first two years of the project, we really did operate that um, very few people even within Cubis knew we were, we were exploring it. Wow. Um, so you probably, so probably felt a little bit superhero like you know under 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 capes however it may be just yeah just a little bit kind of niche in the sense that there was just a, a small target force team on on that project yeah you know i never how, how many how many how many of you guys were on that specific stealth project yeah yeah so it started really small there was about seven or eight of us at the very mm. very beginning um and then by the in going into our second year, as we started to make it more well known within the company that we were doing this effort, we expanded out to about 20 people. Um, yeah. And that was across all the different things. So I let up the biology component of it and had to develop novel assays in order to figure out what we we're doing. Mm. Um, we brought in engineers from externally because we didn't build things. So we had to bring in that expertise. And within the second year, we started talking to our toxicologists within the firm, our regulatory department our marketing mm -hmm. our commercialization team business development was involved the whole time and so it was really exciting we went from a conference room that only held eight of us to then having to change to a larger one because there were people that were more um excited about the traction and we were really what making were, formal yeah what were their re their reactions when it kind of came to light that you guys had been working on something under the radar and then all of a sudden all these different departments are, are starting to get involved you know so you know the, the business development team the, the regulatory um guys what was you know how what sort of um feedback were you getting internally about this yeah you know it was really mixed um the majority of it was this is so cool i can't believe we're doing it and then there mm. was the other side of it was like but we're in the antibiotic discovery business. Why are we doing something that will reduce the amount of infections? Um, mm. You know, which is a fair question, but really it was the um, incredible leadership team 
um, at Cubis. So Mike Bonnie and Rob Perez, it was really them kind of looking at that crystal ball and saying, what we're doing is critically important, but the organisms and the pathogens or the bacteria, they're always going to evolve and there's always going to be a place for us for antibiotic discovery. We need yeah. to stop infections from happening. Um, and so it was really exciting to be part of that and to be sharing that side of the story with mm. it. Um, and then, you know, the other side of it was, is that when people found out we were doing, they're like, well, what can I do to help? Um, so it was really nice. exciting mm. from that front that people, you know, once they got over that, this is this crazy hand hygiene idea. Um, but then the next thought was, well, what can I do? And, and so it was really just a, an amazing opportunity to be part of it mm -hmm. uh, and to see the whole concept grow from a very just crazy idea that frankly, it stemmed from. I had given a presentation to the senior VP Perveen's kids about how germs are everywhere and hand hygiene is the most important thing we can do. Yeah. Uh, and then when he was traveling a short time later, um, he was at Logan International Airport and he used one of those Dyson Airblades and he thought to yeah. himself, I don't want to just dry my hands. I want to clean these. I want to invent this. And so that's mm. when he came back to me and wanted to start this crazy project. Nice. Um, so this is a really neat kind of way of, of coming about and yeah. you know, kudos to the management and the executive team who um, fostered the crazy idea and really let us, you know, have the budget right. and the people to try it. Mm. Yeah, no, look, definitely. I mean, any, anytime you've got a manager or a leader like that, that is kind of prepared to say, okay, you've got a great idea. Let's run with it. You know, that just makes you feel so valued within an organization, doesn't it? I think that's what everyone kind of dreams of when they yeah. get out into the workplace. So where, where did, where did things go for, for you from, from there? So uh, while we were doing the Cubist effort and we were making some incredible challenge, um, uh, traction, we were working on a light-based technology. Um, and so we were, we were very excited about the data that we were generating, the work mm. that we were doing. Um, and at the time, Cubist was also wildly successful in the antibiotic discovery arena, which made us attractive for acquisition. Nice. And so we were acquired and subsequently all the research operations were shut down, mm -hmm. uh, which was admittedly completely heartbreaking for me um, because I felt so fortunate to be part of the Cubist team and to be Clearly, yeah. doing, doing incredible science that was really meaningful, like every day mattered to me when I was there. Mm. Um, so so when the, the acquisition happened and we were subsequently let go, um, I was just like, all right, well, I've lived the, lived the bio, biotech dream. I'm now just going to, I'm going to go walk dogs. Like we had just adopted our dog. I was like, I'm just going to walk dogs. Um, yeah. but the engineers that I had worked with, um, they approached me and, and they had talked about, you know, it was just such a shame. We were making some really great traction. We have all these people we wanted to help and, mm. Yeah, it's really terrible. And so they asked if I'd be willing to start a company with them to finish what we started, but with a completely different technology. Yeah. And, I, and James, I laughed hysterically. I was like, no, thanks. <laughs> I was like, I don't. I, I still, I'm still preferring the idea of walking dogs. Yeah, it was really just this. I was like, nope, I've had, I, I had the dream job. I'm not going to recapture that. I'm just going to, just going to make a paycheck now. Thank you for thinking of me, but no thanks. Mm. Um, and then my husband and I traveled for a little bit, um, you know, before I was going to start to take, like looking for new jobs and stuff. Yeah. And, um, and, and we're big Lord of the Ring fans. And we were actually on the Shire in Hobbiton, yeah. <laughs> in 
Zealand. And I kept perseverating about the patients and the healthcare workers um, that we were going to help. And my husband uh, just looked at me and he's, he's always just incredibly supportive. And he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I know I'm ruining our vacation. I keep thinking about the, the project that we were doing and how it's mm. gone. And he's like, but then why aren't you starting the company? He's like, you've, you've already did this through Cubis. Like you, yeah. you, you try to live your life, not regretting things and mm. you're going to regret it if you don't try this. And so when we returned back to the States, I um, asked to have a meeting with the former CEO, Mike Bonney. Mm. Um, and I said, it's like, you've known me for the last 12 years. You know, I have zero business starting a business. I kill things for a living. That's what my job had been as a microbiologist. Um, I was like, but I can't stop thinking about the patients and the practitioners mm. that we are going to help. And does it make sense to create a company as a standalone entity? And um, he laughed, which I was like, oh, oh God, I was wrong. I knew I shouldn't have had this conversation. He's like, Carmelo, you've already been doing this. He's mm. like, the entrepreneur at Cubis. He's like, I, this is, yes, you, you, we should do this. And, um, and so, yes, that really helped to give us the, the push we needed Massive to kind of seal, seal of approval from someone that you, yeah, you know, respecting yeah. highly, clearly. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's, it was, it made sense for Cubis to do an infection prevention project, right? We are mm. well, well known in the industry, very well respected in the um, hospital industry and everything. And so yeah. you know, standalone company, can you really do this? But the reality is, is that infection prevention has always been incredibly important. Um, we haven't prioritized it since the advent of antibiotics because you know, there's that false sense of security that whatever pathogen comes our way or germ comes our way that we'll overcome it really quickly. Mm. Um, but I think the pandemic has certainly highlighted that that's not always the case. And so yeah. it is in our best interest to um, be prioritizing infection prevention as much as we prioritize therapeutics and diagnostics and vaccines like mm -hmm. all of those are incredibly important it's not a one-size-fits-all problem um so yeah so having that validation um from former colleagues really did kind of push the envelope for me to say okay we're starting live onics here we go um and so the rest is history so to speak of you know that was four and a half years ago and um we're making incredible progress with the science and mm. now just trying to fundraise for next steps so how how did you i guess find it to start with i know when i set up the um sort of the huxley morton business and you and i have talked about this via email and, and things about you know coming up with the names um but there's other elements um to it such as setting up the the, the bank uh, business bank accounts um incorporating the company there's a lot of little things that perhaps you just you don't know until you know um, right. so how did that go for yourself you know someone who you, you openly admitted that you know you weren't a, a business professional um how did that go how did you get on in, in the sort of the very grassroots days of, of actually setting stuff up yeah you know it, it's interesting because you never know what you don't know right <laughs> uh, and stuff mm. and so it was a lot of having conversations with former cubist colleagues that they went on to different things and some yeah. of them ended at startups and so we would compare um stories it was a lot of um i'm very fortunate that many of the former cubist executive team um were happy to be advisors and mentors to us and are still yeah. and so asking them questions about how to get things going and then a lot of it was just kind of trying to learn and understand from 
reading different books and reading different websites and listening to podcasts and, you know, mm. like hearing about the startup culture. And, you know, when I started, I had no idea what a convertible note was or, you know, preferred stock versus your regular stock. And, you know, do you sign up as an LLC or a corporation? And what are the differences in the tech yeah. room? You know, so it was just doing a lot of research. And so I learned a lot about myself and that um, I joke now that my superpower is that I get things done. Um, so even if I, in the beginning, don't know how I'm going to do it, I will find a way to get it done. Mm. Um, and you have to learn really quickly to be comfortable reaching out for the help and asking for it and then distilling down all the advice that you get from people mm. and figuring out what's your best path um, moving forward. And I think um, that's where you, you've summed up and that maybe you may not think it yourself, but uh, as a, like, an entrepreneurial um, character, but you've summed that up spot on for me is that you're someone who can get some stuff done. Um, and being resourceful is probably the best thing that anyone can have, you know, in their armory, you know, whether it's looking at YouTube, you know, reading books, there's a ton of things and, and resources all out there. And if you can just be that person who's like, well, I need to do this and then trust that that person, you're, you're going to get it done and bet on yourself. That is the, one of the biggest things and asset that anyone can have. Certainly as an entrepreneur, whether it's finding someone to, to help you, whether it's your advisors from cubist or, or doing it yourself reading the books you know i remember when i've set up the business my, my partner we've probably still got them in the bookshelf here you know you know uh, websites for dummies and uh, like just crazy little things because i'm i'm not a tech man um you know i've always my job has always been either sporting or you know talking um there was no way i was going to be building a website or anything like that it's just crazy so the fact that you've um you know managed to pull that out and, and just do whatever is needed to be done uh, I guess is perhaps why you've you've been a success so you're now kind of four years on um but going back to the beginning another thing that you and I have um sort of touched on um the name live live onyx where where did it where did it come from uh, for you guys yeah our crazy made-up name um you know I you never I never had expected that with having such a small team that we would um struggle so much with creating the name and i'd say probably for the first six months we just called ourselves Nuco because we couldn't decide so we were just <laughs> um and so really what it was is we wanted to pay homage to cubist in mm -hmm. some regard and have a nod towards them because that's where we got our start and really like i kind of grew up cubist and i was where yeah. i got training and everything and so um and I also liked the idea of it having a hidden meaning for us and so mm -hmm. the semi-precious stone onyx um it means um to be focused and disciplined and to live with reason and in its rarest form is a purple color so typically onyx is black and so for me it was live onyx to live with focused attention, discipline, and reason. Um, and so that's how we came up with it. So the purple is a nod to Cubist, um, and then really to just kind of be focused in what we're doing, be disciplined, mm. and above all, you know, to apply reason to what we're doing, um, because we're trying to save lives. Yeah, okay, amazing. And look, I guess we're now, I guess, a few years on from probably all of the headaches that you would have had with that. You know, I, I've been for it myself, and I... I if I was to go back, I probably wouldn't want to do it again. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Um, 
you know, talk us through, how, do, how does your typical day look these days? Oh, you know, it, I can't believe, I, I never would have imagined that my day gets driven by my inbox, frankly. Um, mm -hmm. I can plan out my week and feel like, okay, I know that on this day, I'm going to work on grant writing. On this day, I'm doing reach outs for um, fundraising and trying mm -hmm. to find investors. Uh, but oftentimes I'll turn on the computer and something will have happened or shifted overnight that then kind of changes the trajectory of your day based on your inbox of um, a fire needs to be put, not a literal fire. We work in a lab very safely. Uh, you know, <laughs> some sort of fire that needs to be put out or mm. there's a um, pressing competition that's come to our attention that we want to be able to apply for. And so mm. things constantly change. But I would say in general, it is trying to be responsive when people are reaching out to us, um, you know, as quickly as we can, but being mindful of um, the other duties that we have. And then really it is a mix of um, my team. They're, they're still very focused on driving the science and the engineering forward. Mm -hmm. And I've stepped out of the lab, particularly during COVID um, because there's limits to how many people can be in the lab space during this yeah. time period. And so I'm focused all on, um, the fundraising aspects of it and reaching out to investors and finding where we fit in appropriately and that kind of thing so it's uh, it's a mix every day and look how i guess um, as, as i said during um the beginning of the interview you know i guess at the moment sort of hand sanitizer you know staying clear of, of germs is it's huge it's you know it's been on everyone's lips for the past 12 years about washing your hands properly 20 seconds here you know and making sure you don't miss any part of the, the skin that could perhaps be exposed to the virus and um, how have things been going for yourself at the moment um you know in terms of you know securing investors and interest and, and things like this so um because i'm sure it's had a, a probably quite a big impact for for what you do as a business right yeah you know and it's it it's interesting because it the pandemic has opened opportunities in some ways while mm. also narrowed some opportunities. The way that it's opened the opportunities is that typically when you're meeting investors, they're happening at large conferences. And so you're trying to secure time with people in between sessions. Um, but by the nature of the expense of the conference and the expense of travel, it's difficult to get a number of those in. Mm. But because of the pandemic, those conferences went virtual. And so either they were free or they're very, very um, cost effective to attend. And so yeah. it was me and my co-founders that could attend the conferences. And so we could navigate having um, access to investors at those, at those conferences and those platforms. Mm -hmm. So in that regard, it's actually been very helpful. So we've been able to have conversations with people internationally. We've been able to have conversations with the West Coast versus where we are here on the East Coast. Yeah. Um, so that's been incredible. Uh, the challenging aspect of it is despite the fact that we're in infection prevention, um, which is acutely, um, everyone's acutely aware of it right now, mm. is that finding the right investor is a challenge for us because we're not a therapeutic. Yeah. We're not just a device. Um, we are actually a combination product. So our antiseptic mm. will be marketed as a, um, will be regulated as a drug. And then we have a de deposition device that's That'll be a device that will be regulated as well. Uh -huh. It's finding the right fit. And then in the infection prevention space, 
it's challenging because you don't have access to reimbursement. And so a lot of investors, when they're looking at the return on investment, they're like, okay, well, this is going to be reimbursed by the hospital setting. So they can do calculations on mm. what the revenue will be. And, um, but as an infection prevention product, uh, we're not eligible for those kind of um, right, I see. stuff. So it makes it difficult. So you're trying to, I think anytime you're an agent of change, you're, you're having to convince people of the importance of what you're doing and that you're, you're creating kind of a cognitive dissonance for the status quo. And mm. so a lot of people will think, well, but we just, if people would just wash their hands, it would be fine. Or if people would just use hand sanitizer. But the reality is, is that there hasn't been innovation in the hand hygiene space in almost in over 40 years and so you're what's being asked of practitioners like hospital workers in order to clean their hands can't actually be done well you know so when you have germs like clostridium difficile that do not that are not killed by um hand sanitizer or norovirus which is not killed by hand sanitizer and those are both hugely problematic in hospital settings you need something different. The answer isn't just wash your hands more. Uh -huh. it, it's clean your hands differently. And right. so it, it's changing that that thought process and, um, for people that can be a challenge. You mentioned neurovirus um, just then. I know kind of before coronavirus was even a real thing to me, um, you know, I heard of several people talking about neurovirus, but I thought that there was hand sanitizers and things that now kill that. Is that, am I... Again, ignorance of that, am I? No, I mean, so here here in the States, most hand sanitizers active ingredient is some form of alcohol. Um, uh -huh. It'll be anywhere between 62 to, to 90% alcohol, depending yeah. on the product um, and the formulation. It does not work against norovirus. So that's why it oh. ends up becoming very problematic. Um, you hear a lot of, um, in kind of mainstream norovirus affecting cruise ships. So people will be on a family vacation and the yeah. entire cruise ship goes down with, with norovirus. I've seen um, a couple of documentaries on that recently. I, I love them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, um, and stuff. And so, yeah, so unfortunately they don't, they don't have activity against norovirus and, and norovirus in particular, it takes a very small amount of um, number of viruses to actually make you sick and it's highly highly communicable so it's mm. devastating in hospitals it's devastating in nursing homes um, so anywhere where you have vulnerable populations but again it's it's also um, a challenge in community settings like on a cruise ship um, on mm. sports teams that kind of thing yeah um, yeah so it's making making changes for that sure well it's it, I mean it certainly sounds like you face quite a few challenges as you say I mean the fact that one, you've had to come out of the lab because there's certain restrictions um, there. Um, I, I know that, you know, at the moment now, however, we are starting to get positive news on, on vaccinations. In the UK, we seem to be flying with it and we're, we're, we're getting dates as, you know, as to when we can meet up with friends and family and, and this and that, which is, which is fantastic. Um, I'm even thinking about booking a holiday, which is um, something I just haven't even thought about. For, yeah, for, for <laughs> that, I think that's from June, May, May, June time. We can look at booking holidays again. Oh my God. Can't wait wow. for it. Um, but look, I, I, you know, on the subject of, you know, continuing to wash hands and, and things, which is predominant, I know that you've got a, a TED talk um, that you've covered a lot on that. Um, and when I first reached out, I was like, oh, it's the hand, hand, hand washing place that I'm speaking to. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> but look, what are your thoughts on, say, the, the vaccines and what's in store for us all in the world of, I guess, um, you know, avoiding germs and uh, avoiding the, the, the virus, avoiding neurovirus, avoiding coronavirus as we head on through 2021? Yeah, so it's it's such a good question. I, you know, for anyone who has the opportunity to get the vaccine, please do. Um, you know, I hear people talking about their concern of, but they made it so quickly, I can't trust it. And listen, messenger RNA vaccine development has happened for years and years and years. Um, mm. It's just, you know, so that technology, um, it's a previous technology and stuff. We've been working on it with other viruses in the past. Um, you know, the, the reason we were able to get these vaccines developed so quickly is it was a large number of people from very diverse backgrounds. Mm -hmm. So why you had government coming together, you had international interaction interactions, you had interactions across different pharmaceutical companies, mm -hmm. um, so everyone really coming together to get these out. So they are safe. Um, please, please get them when you can, um, especially for the people who can't get them, um, you know, so be part of that herd immunity. Um, if I, in conversations with family who are, despite the fact that they have someone in their family who's an infectious disease microbiologist and um, believes in the science and has been tracking the science this whole mm. year, um, they still come to me like, I'm just too nervous, I can't do it. And I, they're like, I, it's just, it's not safe. And I look at them and I say, listen, if I had access to the vaccine right now, I would roll up your sleeve and stab you. So that's how, that's how, that's how firmly I believe in it. Um, so yeah, so get the vaccine, um, you know, take advantage of the miracle of science and, mm. and every, all the hard work that's been done in order to get us to this point. Um, in terms of in the interim, while you're waiting for the vaccine, um, unfortunately, I feel like this time is one of the more dangerous times because you have some of the population who is getting vaccinated, but mm. may not fully understand that vaccine does not mean cure. It's not yeah. a treatment, it's a preventative. And so you may still get the SARS-CoV vaccine in you and you may still replicate the vaccine, which means you could still transmit it. You mm. may get very, very mild disease. So you're being protected from severe disease. So you won't be hospitalized and that kind of thing. But it doesn't mean that you're fully immune to acquiring it or giving it. Mm. And so that I think is something that we need to do a better job of making sure people understand that. And so while you have some of the population being vaccinated, some are waiting, it's critical. Maintain the six feet distance. Follow, um, follow the guidelines basically then because I mean, that's been one of my concerns is that the more people that get vaccinated and kind of think, hey, it's all OK now, they start to flood out. And then I think, you know, one of the things that you said to me previously was the solution to pollution is through dilution, if yes. I got that correct. You did, um, nice. <laughs> and I just thought, well, if everyone starts flooding out and, and mingling in the same way that they did previously, the rates are just going to go back up. Exactly. And then exactly. we'll just kind of be in that kind of yo-yo scenario where we're never fully you know getting the result that we want yeah it's certainly going to make things a lot longer um and more difficult because while you still have people who aren't vaccinated they're still vulnerable mm. you still have hospitals that are recovering from being incredibly overwhelmed and burdened um you know getting personal protective equipment is still a challenge um you know so it's all of those things kind of coming together of it's it's really, we need people to stop looking at 
this isn't something that just affects you. You need to think mm. outwardly and how could this affect other people? And so wonderful if you're vaccinated, I'm very happy for that, mm. but still you need to be responsible and, and, and keep awareness of people outside of you, um, for family, for strangers that you could still be um, unknowingly passing on, on virus to people that aren't protected yet. And so it'll be, it'll be a while before we get everybody safe. Um, so following those standard measures, you know, social distancing, mask wearing, all of those are truly like incredibly important to keep doing. Mm. And, and you know what, funny, uh, just to mirror that, that's exactly the same sort of message that has come from uh, the Queen over here in, in the UK just recently sent pretty much exactly that, um, you know, just trying to get people to be a bit patriotic and not just think about themselves and, and do it for the greater cause. So look, Massively um, agree um, on that, and that hopefully we will soon all start to get out. I know for, for me, it's there's hopefully a holiday on the cards uh, when it's all, all safe. Um, for yourself, um, you know what what are the plans when restrictions are starting to get relaxed? You know what? Um, clearly, you've got dogs. You like to get out and walk dogs, but what else um, are you planning to sort of get out and enjoy back to normal life outside of Live Onyx and, and the, the world of pharmaceuticals and everything else? Yeah, you know, and I think, um, so on a personal level, really no longer taking for granted the last time you hugged someone, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think back to last February and the last trip that we were able to take to see family in New York, um, and it's now been over a year. And so really not taking for granted those opportunities where you get to hug the people that you love and it's safe to do so. Mm. Um, from a, the professional side of things, it really is just continuing to mobilize change, to get out um, and have voices be heard around infection prevention and this idea of, you know, we're, we've all now lived through a pandemic. Um, it is incredibly difficult. I wish I could say we're never going to have to deal with this again in our lifetime, but mm. I can't say that because there's no guarantee. The reality is, is viruses, bacteria, fungi, they're, they're incredibly adaptable. They change, they become resistant. So things that are working today may not work tomorrow. Mm. And so we need to be vigilant. Um, you know, like, yes, it'll be nice to breathe a sigh of relief and fresh air and not have it be filtered through a mask. Mm. Um, but we need to remain vigilant um, and we need to take kind of those lessons learned about how to handle a global crisis moving forward and how do we, um, again, not prioritize self and we do really look at the community at large and yes, it's inconvenient to be in lockdown. It's inconvenient to not be able to go to the grocery store when you want to, um, but those are things that are critical to helping to save lives. And, Definitely. Uh, you know, so I think for on that front, Liveonics will continue to share a voice and um, be advocates for infection prevention. Um, we are very stubborn in wanting to get our funding, no matter how hard it is, our investors are out there, we will find them. Um, and we want to be part of a solution um, globally to really be able to bring a technology that could save lives um, to everybody, not just not just here in the States. Fantastic. Well, I think it's an amazing story. 
Um, and look, I, I, I just hope that you can achieve that goal that you've, you've kind of set yourself. Um, I know that you've got um, an interesting TED Talk that is online and available through, through YouTube. Of course, uh, this show will um, be available wherever people get their podcasts and also uh, on YouTube. But I guess on the professional front, whether it's investors, people with um, just wanting to learn more, a little, a little bit more about Liveonics, what's the best way to, to reach out to yourself? Sure. So you can, I'm find me on LinkedIn, uh, both me, the company, uh, our website, www.liveonics.com. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not hard to find and stuff. So happy to reach out, love having conversations with fellow entrepreneurs. Um, you know, even for all the investor conversations we've had that turned into a no thank you for now, um, we've learned something new from everyone. And so yeah. uh, I'm very, I'm a very big believer in having a growth mindset and um, every opportunity is an opportunity to learn. And so I'm happy to learn from other people and having those, those conversations and continuing dialogue and um, just kind of existing uh, to learn new things. Great stuff. Well, look, Camilla, it's been fantastic having you on the show. Stay resourceful, stay positive, keep doing what you're doing. Um, and look, no doubt I will keep in touch to um, sort of hear how it's all going over the next sort of year or so. Um, and look, if there's anyone out there who does want to invest or reach out to Carmela, you've got the details here, but we'll also tag in everything um, on our YouTube channel and um, uh, with, with the podcast that we put out also. But look, Camilla, thanks again for coming on the show. Uh, have a fantastic day your end. Thank you. And James, again, thank you so much for the thoughtful questions and for the invitation and just the opportunity to be able to share our story and um, to be part of the um, Huxley Morton family now. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, look, thanks again for coming on. Speak soon. Thank you.